Hello, and thank you for joining us today for another episode of FYI, the Public Libraries podcast. I'm Kathleen Hughes, Manager of Publications for the Public Library Association. Today, my colleague Lara Clark, Deputy Director of the ALA Office for Information Technology Policy, and also Deputy Director for PLA, will talk with John B. Horrigan of the Pew Research Center about his report, Digital Readiness Gaps, which finds that just over half of American adults have low levels of readiness to use digital tools as they pursue lifelong learning. Welcome, Lara. Thanks, Kathleen. Hello, everybody. As Kathleen mentioned, my guest today is John Horrigan, who is a senior researcher at the Pew Research Center, where he focuses on libraries, technology, and communities, as well as open data and open government. Prior to rejoining the Pew Research Center in 2015, he served as the research director for the development of the National Broadband Plan at the Federal Communications Commission. He is a nationally recognized expert on research into the barriers to home broadband adoption and use. So let's start with a little bit of background on what is digital readiness? Digital readiness refers to people's level of digital skills and trust in online information, which in turn shapes their ability to put information and communications technologies to work for them in various dimensions of their lives. And in the topic we're discussing today, it's lifelong learning. How does this term relate to or change how we think of the digital divide? The digital divide is a binary concept, meaning it frames digital equality issues as an on-off sort of thing. Either you have access to the internet or you don't. And that gap remains in our society. About 14% of Americans don't use the internet, but it's a lot smaller than it was 20 years ago when 86% of Americans didn't use the internet and just 14% did. Digital readiness is different in that it looks at possible inequalities that can emerge when people do have internet access tools and do access the internet using broadband or smartphones. So it's looking at the potential for inequalities in using the internet once people have access. Can you actually tell me a little bit about how we measure digital readiness? It seems like that might be a hard thing to get your arms around. How do you go about doing that? Measuring digital readiness is a little more involved than just measuring whether people have access to the internet or not. In the surveys we do at the Pew Research Center, when we want to understand who has access or not to different information technologies, we simply ask them whether they have a broadband subscription at home, whether they have a cell phone, whether that cell phone is a smartphone. And those are all questions that people can answer fairly easily. And so we feel very confident in measuring uh, digital access tools simply by asking people questions. Now, asking somebody in a survey, are you digitally ready, is not such a smart way to frame a research question to somebody that you call up on the phone and ask to take a survey. So what we do instead is measure various components of digital readiness through a series of questions and using answers to those series of questions, use some statistical techniques to group people into uh, different categories that track with their relative degrees of digital readiness in a specific area like lifelong learning. And so those questions might go to asking people about their confidence in using uh, computers and the internet. Since in this report we're focusing on lifelong learning, we asked people some questions about their levels of awareness of educational technology terms. 
that serve as a good proxy of people's level of awareness and level of skills in using these technologies for lifelong learning. Maybe you could talk a little bit about the types that you found when you did this analysis. You know, what do these folks look like demographically, and, and what did you find when you did the analysis? We found that just over half of the population of adults was relatively hesitant or relatively uh, digitally unprepared to use technologies in uh, lifelong learning. Of those 52% of the relatively hesitant, we found within that heading three categories of people who are relatively digitally unready. One we called traditional learners, and that's just 5% of the adult population, but these are people who actually are fairly active learners. They're interested in learning. They also have technology to access the internet if they want to use digital tools to learn. But they have serious concerns about trust in online information um, and therefore tend to use traditional means to do their lifelong learning and not digital means. And this group tends to be women, tend to be minorities, and over the age of 50. We have another group called the unprepared, who were the least digitally ready, who just have lower levels of technology adoption. They tend not to be active lifelong learners. They don't have very much awareness of some of the emerging educational technology concepts. And this group tends to be also women, age 50 and above. And they're also lower income households and households with lower levels of formal uh, education. And then finally, the largest group of the relatively hesitant are the reluctant. They have a little bit higher levels of digital skills than the other two groups I talked about, but they're very much unaware of new educational technology concepts. And whereas the other two groups um, tilted toward the female side of the gender balance. Uh, this group tends to be men, again, older, over the age of 50, and lower income and lower educational levels in those groups. Is the reluctant group also one that perhaps is less interested in learning? It seems like the traditional learners are active lifelong learners, but it wasn't clear from the reluctant group if if they were actively engaged in in kind of traditional learning or if they were also a little bit outside of that grouping? They had sort of very basic kinds of lifelong learning habits. They participated in book clubs. They might take um, a course from time to time. The reluctant uh, did have somewhat lower levels of lifelong learning, but they weren't uninterested necessarily in lifelong learning. They were just a little more sort of 1980s uh, in their way of pursuing lifelong learning. What comes to your mind when you think about the challenges or opportunities out of this new analysis? For some stakeholders, perhaps realizing that the way they've thought about some digital equity issues in the past needs to be updated, which is to say simply getting discounted computers or other access devices to people might not be a silver bullet that some people have thought as a way to close digital um, equity gaps, um, simply because we find in the survey that there are sizable uh, portions of the population who have all the access gear that we like to think about, yet lack some of the skills and confidence and trust needed to really put this technology to use for um, things like learning. So that's the challenge. The opportunity is to uh, look for ways to 
bring training and skill building into the access equation in ways that perhaps haven't been done uh, widely in the past, which is to say, help libraries continue to provide the resources that they've had for a number of years in terms of providing um, access to information technology at the library, but also training on how to um, use computers and emerging technologies. Um, In other work we've done at the Pew Research Center, we found that um, the general population expects and hopes that libraries will have programs to help people with their digital skills. And the nuance in the landscape of digital readiness that this report shows uh, certainly underscores the need to have those kinds of resources embedded in libraries. The nature of the challenge in terms of skills building and customization seems directly up our alley, if you will, in some ways to make sure that we're meeting the specific needs that are in front of us to help bring people greater understanding and and meet them where they are. Is there anything else related to some of the previous work that Pew has done that relates to this that we haven't talked about yet? Libraries are trusted institutions. Our data finds that repeatedly in the surveys we do. And in this report, we're finding that people have some trust issues with the kinds of information that they find online. Um, And so libraries as trusted institutions are ideally suited to address some of the trust needs that the relatively less digitally ready portions of the population may feel. So really is an opportunity for libraries to address these kinds of issues. Particularly when we think about these concerns about privacy or online scams, that it becomes even more important, particularly as so much of what we're seeing within e-government and shopping and consuming in general is moving online and increasingly is only available online, that this issue seems to not only be more clearly exposed through your work, but also increasingly important as we continue this march to moving you know, most of our work and our lives and our interactions, transactions into an online environment. Ten years ago, the sociologist Manuel Castells wrote that, um, and he was writing about the digital divide, and he wrote that um, the inequalities with respect to the Internet start to emerge when everyone is dependent on the Internet. Mm-hmm. And as you just said, so many transactions are moving online. There's huge expectations that service delivery, whether that's education, whether that's government service delivery, is going to be delivered using digital means. And if you don't have the wherewithal to navigate that landscape, uh, the inequality issues could become quite severe. Yeah, I actually just saw today new research that uh, was published at the National Telecommunications and Information Administration. I'm guessing you've also had a chance to at least see that that's out there, and it talks a little bit about this relevance question. Half of those who uh, don't have internet access at home say it's not relevant to them. And um, certainly we as a society, um, I think the maintained assumption is that not only is it very relevant to people, but it's only going to become more relevant with the Internet of Things and other kinds of connected devices, not just um, connecting people to information, but helping people manage their personal health or or their household. And so if you don't have the skills, but then also the trust in um, sharing all this personal data about yourself or your household to make those applications run, the skills issues, the trust issues are 
likely only to grow. So it's not just an access gap, it's a skills and understanding and a trust gap. And I think the nuances give us a lot more to think about and improve our services. But you also mention a few caveats with the analysis. Can you tell us a little bit about that? It's important to understand that the analysis is confined to uh, this one particular area at this one point in in time. Um, And and so that's just one thing I think people should keep in mind in in looking at this particular report. But I hope it sort of inspires people to think about digital readiness more broadly in other kinds of issue areas. One of the things that's coming up is starting in December that low-income Americans will be able to use the federal lifeline subsidy to purchase broadband. If we think about the about broadband adoption and digital readiness together, what comes to mind for you in the kind of adoption that we might see or the challenges we might also have in making sure that low-income Americans are able to apply that subsidy and come online and then be successful in uh, navigating the digital universe? A program like Lifeline is certainly a useful one to uh, try to get more people online who can't afford it. It provides a subsidy for uh, home broadband um, use, and that subsidy can certainly um, help low-income households who qualify for the program get online. But at the same time, as we look at this digital readiness report, we see that access is a starting point to people's online journey. It doesn't uh, get them from the back of the uh, online adoption pack to the front of the line instantly. People do have issues with skills. They do have issues with trusting online information. And it takes time and training to help people clear those hurdles. It's possible that even with a subsidy that they might not be interested in getting online. And there could be some other kinds of intervention necessary to um, help households like that um, either apply for the Lifeline benefit or just to choose to subscribe on their own um, by purchasing service but it would take a different kind of intervention. Um, And in some ways, libraries are well positioned to do that, to help people um, understand what the value of having access at home would be. So what else are you working on, um, either specifically related to libraries or also related to how people use technology? Look for work coming forth that focuses a lot on information consumption patterns and then places uh, digital tools and libraries in the context of how people go about using information. Will you or your colleague Lee Rainey be at any upcoming library meetings like the midwinter meeting in Atlanta in January, do you know? To be determined, but we're definitely hoping to be there. Fantastic. Well, that's about all the time we have. I'm uh, Lara Clark, the Deputy Director of the Public Library Association and OITP. Thank you, John, for your time today and for all of your work leading up to this conversation and for all the work that's going to come next. We really appreciate it. My pleasure to be with you. Thanks to our guests, Lara Clark and John Horrigan, and thank you to our listeners for joining us for this conversation. Be sure to check out all of our other podcasts. You can find them at www.publiclibrariesonline.org.